Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. Heavenly Father, we are thankful once again for your word and for scripture and how it points us to you, Lord, and just the honor and the privilege of knowing you, of serving you. God, thank you that you are alive and active and that you speak to us by your spirit and by your word. And Lord, we ask that you would lead us and guide us this morning, and uh, that would be your words and your truth that we hear and that we remember. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So this last weekend, over Memorial Day weekend, um, went up to um, Eureka. Uh, that's where my dad grew up. And um, while we were, uh, so dad and I went up a little bit early and we had some work projects that we were going to do. And then Joe and the kids came up later on. And um, basically I spent those first two days uh, installing a hot water heater. Um, the the cabin that so there's this land that dad grew up on and it would be off grid and that there's no electricity or water running out there so you can have those things you just got to turn on the generator and then it's just kind of loud and obnoxious and that kind of thing well when they built it they installed the the plumber installed a little like 110 electric hot water heater which would be fine if you always had power but we didn't And so you would have to run that noisy, loud generator for about 45 minutes to an hour to get, like, one mediocre shower, because the shower was installed, and then that's it. And then you got to wait, like, 45 minutes to an hour again. And so for the last couple years, have been contemplating, like, hey, we need to, like, upgrade this or do something different. And so for the last several months, I was like, okay, let's do this. I have been reading and researching like just everything about propane on-demand, hot water heaters and pipe size and flow rates and whatever else and all this other kind of stuff. Because the other thing about this is that your nearest commercial hardware store is 75 miles away. So I'm like just every contingency plan imaginable and just like way too many tools and just like all this other kind of stuff. And I was hoping that we would get up there and I would just install this unit. Oh, no, 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 no. No. This was not an install. This was like a complete gut and remodel job. And so basically, I just spent a day and a half in a very small closet working on plumbing and my attitude. Um, And I mean, redoing framing and plumbing and electrical and pulling gas lines. And at one point, we had to stop and dismantle part of the wall because I dropped my phone into the wall. And so like dad called my cell and was like, yep, There it is, you know, right behind the dial on the shower. And so then, and that was a low point, uh, one of the low points. Uh, The other one was when Joe called and says, we're an hour away. And I'm like, I'm not done. And then then that was the other low point. So anyways, just spent a day and a half jammed in this closet working on stuff. Um, But ended up a hustle, I don't know why. But just spending a lot of time thinking about leadership as I was jammed in that closet, right? Because there were other projects that we had wanted to do, and, and, we, and we got them done. But how many times, whether you're the leader or the follower, have, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to do this thing. 
And then you get into it, and you're like, oh, Lord Jesus. Like, this is just way... And you may find this funny. I find this funny. Because this is kind of what's happening with our basin remodel project, but I didn't even think about that till last night as I was thinking through the sermon, right? Like where you get into it and you're like, okay, this is taking way longer uh, and way more work than, than we anticipated. Um, but, and so just, just thinking through, through leadership or following, because this whole time, like dad is being incredibly gracious uh, about this whole thing as I just spend hours muttering in a closet. And... If you're the leader in a situation like that, because here, this, this is going to apply to all of you. And this is gonna, maybe this applies to you at work. Maybe this applies to you on the farm. Maybe this applies to you here in church, right? Because one of you, you know, whether it's a team leader or leadership team or myself or just one of you is going to be like, hey, I have an idea. And then we're going to be like, hey, great idea. Go for it. You know, and maybe it goes really quick and easy and maybe it just takes a really long time and, and it turns out to be... A bigger project like when we rebranded the church i thought six months and some people are like you better plan on a year and i was like pessimists right two years just shy of two years um so anyways if you're the leader and you're leading people through this one is that you need to recognize that for people to hang with you they either need to really buy into the vision or if they don't understand the vision, they need to really trust you as a person. That as you're doing stuff as work, as you're leading stuff here in the church, as you're, as you're going after those things, that either people really need to buy in that vision, whether it's the vision of an actual hot shower, or they just need to really trust you, because they don't, still don't understand what you're doing, but we'll follow you even though this is weird and taking too long. They really got to trust you as a person. The other thing, though, is that if you are the follower, to just be very gracious with one another, right? And again, whether or not it's within the church or whether or not it's it's in a different setting, to just recognize that sometimes, because leaders leaders will typically do one of two things: they will see they will see more or they will see before, right? They they see more, right? Hey, we had a VBS, hundred kids showed up, it was great, and the leader's going. Yes, and I thank Jesus for those 100 kids, but I also know there was potential for 200, right? They see the more, or they see the before, right? There is an opportunity to do this thing, and everyone else is like, we don't see it, and the leader's going, I see it on the horizon. I, I, I see it before everyone else. There, there is an opportunity in this, and, and we need to move, and we need to act on this, right? So if you're the follower to understand that this leader has somehow picked up on the more or the before and to just be gracious with them as they, as they lead us into that. And that kind of ties into today's message, but sort of yes and no. Partly I just wanted to share that with you. Um, we're, going through, uh, um, we're going through the book of Luke, um, looking at the, the life and the ministry of Jesus. And today we're in Luke 9. And this is a very fascinating passage, I realized, um, because Jesus is going to, he, he's going to take the disciples and he's really going to kind of push them into the next level. He's going to kind of take them out of their comfort zone. And this is a place where they're following him. And Jesus says, all right, like we're going to do some stuff that you've not done before. And you're just going to have to trust me that, that this is, that this is going to be neat. What's fascinating about this passage is that this is the only time that I'm aware of in all the teaching of Jesus where Jesus says, hey, do this thing, 
But then later on, he goes, hey, that thing I told you to do, yeah, we're not going to do it that way anymore. We're going to do it this way from now on. Like, there's a couple times where Jesus will do that with the Old Testament, right? Like, with Sabbath or with sacrifices or, you know, he's like, hey, that was the old way, but this is the new way. But this is the only place that I'm aware of where Jesus will reference his own teaching and say, even though we did it like this, forget that. From now on, I want you to do it like this. But then that raises questions because if Jesus kind of kind of overrides it later on, then what are we supposed to do with it as a church 2,000 years later? And it does still apply, and we'll, we'll get to that. But so just kind of some fascinating stuff there. Um, we're in Luke 9, um, very, very beginning part, uh, 1 through 6. Your Bibles might just say Jesus sends out the 12. Um, I, I call this discipleship through mission, and I'll explain that in, in just a bit. Uh, let me read this passage to you. And we'll talk through the passage a little bit, and then we'll jump to the part where Jesus contradicts it, and then what do we do with that? Or not contradicts it, but more just kind of overrides it. Um, Luke chapter 9, verse 1. And he called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, nor money. Do not have two tunics, and whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. All right, so first just, let's just look at this a little bit. So some of us just finished up a class on, on spiritual authority, um, spiritual warfare, that kind of thing. And so you probably caught on that distinction on power and authority, how Jesus gave them power and authority. And we talked about the differences between those two things, right? Because power is the strength to do something, but then authority is the right to do something. And almost always we receive authority really from someone else, right? Like a judge has a certain kind of authority, but he received it, you know, he or she received that authority from government, right? Or a teacher has a certain kind of authority, but they received that authority from the school board. Um, parents have a certain kind of authority over their children, but even that, they receive that authority from the Lord, right? And so authority is almost always we receive it from, from someone else. So Jesus gives authority to the disciples Two main things, to cast out all kinds of demons and to cure diseases, but then he also gives them the power or the strength to, to do so. And in our class, kind of one of the big things that, that we wrestled with is to what extent do we as 21st century Christians also have some kind of element of, of power and authority that we have received because of the Holy Spirit living within us. And, and looked at a whole bunch of verses and concluded that we do have some level of authority and power. Now, it kind of reads like the disciples came back, you know, batting 100 or, you know, like 100% success rate. I, you know, I'm not sure we would have that. Maybe, I, may, maybe you would. <laughs> I'm not sure we, we would have that kind. But, but that we do have some kind of, of authority or power that has been vested in us. 
Um, verse 2, it says he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal, right? So the core of this, though, is the proclamation of the gospel, proclamation of, of the kingdom. They were to tell others about Jesus and salvation and, and this new way of living and this new worldview and, and understanding how the world works and Jesus as, as the only way. And then as people are healed and as people are freed from some kind of demonic influence, it validates the spoken word that, that the disciples or the twelve apostles are, are sharing with others. And then this part, verse, verse 3, he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money, do not have two tunics, whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart, and wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So Matthew also records this event, but Matthew records a lot more. Matthew records like 35 verses of instructions, whereas Luke gives us, I I think it's like three. Um, But they were to travel light, right? Take nothing, no suitcase, no bag, no no money, no food, no extra underwear, like no nothing. Um, When you arrive at a house, just stay at that one house. Don't be bouncing around between houses trying to find a nicer house. Just stay at that one house with that one host family until it's time to go. And then, and you know what? If someone doesn't want to hear the message, there's lots of other work to do. Carry on, move on, right? Like, like don't linger, just, like, keep going. There, there's work to do. Um, MEI is a Christian school in Abbotsford, and they would do mission trips. And um, one, uh, a couple times, but one time in, in particularly, Henry Zukowski asked me if I would come and, and speak to the high schoolers on short-term missions, it's like, what do you, like, there's so much to say, like, where do you even talk from, and that kind of thing, and I just ended up going to Matthew's account of these instructions, and I taught out of that, right, because after you've been doing this for a while, like, there's stories and backgrounds on, like, every line that Jesus said, and you're like, this is brilliant, and here's why, and this is brilliant, and here's why, and I just taught him short-term missions out of Matthew's account uh, for, for the whole evening, and it was, it was a lot of fun. In the next verses in Luke, we won't read them, but their ministry had such an impact that even Herod, like the number one ruler in the area, Herod is, is even hearing about what's going on and is kind of confused as to who is this person and, and what's happening and, and that kind of thing. So massive ministry impact, right? Like word is getting around massive ministry impact. So where and why does Jesus later override these instructions um luke 22 uh starting in verse 35 the setting is the last supper this is really kind of the last time that that they're together um i mean there's 40 days after the the resurrection we don't have a whole lot but um but kind of one of their last times together meaningful time together later on that night jesus is going to get um you know, he's going to be arrested, he's going to be crucified. And so really at that Last Supper, in many ways, they're getting commissioned into full-time ministry. I mean, training is over. Like, after tonight, sending you out, I mean, they, they all spend the rest of their lives doing ministry. Uh, legend holds that all of one of them is martyred, um, you know, and so this is, this is kind of the transition point. And in verse 35, Jesus says this, And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. 
he, well, you got to read it. It's not that they didn't say anything. They said that we didn't lack anything. I realize that may have read differently. They weren't quiet. They replied, we lacked nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. Like I said, there's, there's a few spots where Jesus, you know, like with Sabbath, right? Like, he's, you know, um, he, ta- he gives us kind of some different words on Sabbath. The only place of, though, where I know where Jesus says, hey, that thing I told you to do, we're, we're not going to do it that way anymore. So, so what do we do with that? And how do we kind of understand these two passages? To help us understand these two passages, I would describe it like this. In Luke 9, you have a short-term mission strip. And in Luke 22, they are getting commissioned for long-term missions or a life of full-time ministry. Um, In Luke 9, Jesus is in the process of training the 12 disciples. They're still very much under training. And as part of that training, he sends them on this trip with instructions about ministry, but also commands to not take any provisions, but rather learning to, to rely on the Lord for all of their needs for this stuff. But then in Luke 22, Jesus is really commissioning the 12 for long-term ministry service, long-term missions, because from this point forward, they're on their own. The teaching, the training has ended. Now it's a lifestyle. It's a way of life. This is for the rest of their lives, full-time responsibility, and so the commands are different. One of the first things I would point out is how Jesus used a missions trip in the process of training, equipping, discipling these 12, these 12 men. Short-term missions is a very effective tool in the, in the process of training others how to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. I mean, it's just, it's, it doesn't do everything for you, but at the same time, it provides it provides a training opportunity that you don't get elsewhere, right? Um, you know, with Trek, day one, we would tell them the expectation after Trek. And we would say, look, you know, this is day one, you know, day one. But we'd say, after Trek, we have expectation that you do one of two things with your life. Either one, you enter into long-term missions, or two, you go back to your home church and you serve in a loving, productive way. Every group would have someone that would end up doing long-term missions or ministry, which was fantastic. Majority would end up going home to their home church. And so we really wanted to shape that short-term missions experience as an equipping tool for how to love and serve in your home church. Because there's a lot of pitfalls that you can, I can talk about this for a long time, but I won't. But there's just a lot of things to, to be able to, to do that well. So we really pushed that local church uh, involvement. In fact, I knew one gentleman. He was um, a youth pastor. He would actually bring non-Christians on short-term missions trips. And, I mean, they, everyone knew what was going on, and there were certain expectations and certain limitations were in place and that kind of thing. But he saw it as such a unique opportunity to show this unbeliever what active, passionate, committed, Christ follower looks like. And, and he had amazing results with doing this. And so, I mean, if, if all the boxes checked and everyone was kind of on the same page, he would allow non-believers to go on these short-term missions trips with them. And 
I mean, realistically, though, I if we do think about this, a lot of other professions do this as well, right? Like where there's some kind of internship or on-the-job training or that kind of thing. So honestly, it it's not that new of a concept. But we also see this neat progression on what's happening with the training of the disciples. In the very next story, it's, it's you know, Jesus feeds the 5,000. The, the amazing part of that story, so they're out in the countryside, they don't have any food, and, you know, the apostles or the disciples, they come up to him and they're like, no one has any food, send them away so they can go get something to eat before they start passing out, and Jesus looks at him and says, you feed them. They're like, we don't have anything. We don't have any money, we don't have any food, right? We got one kid that brought a Lunchable, that's all we got, you know? You feed them. Never consider yourself too old for a short-term missions trip. Um, or even long-term missions, really. Um, we would have families that would do our, our short-term missions programs. Um, we actually had an entire department, DMI, Disciple Making International, which was 98% retired folks who would go on a two-week trip, and it was door-to-door -door, uh, evangelism the entire time. Eh, some places it worked so-so. Some places it worked really great, right? You get partnered with a local some orientation, some training, door-to-door -door for two weeks. And it was almost all retired people, every time. Your faith will benefit from a properly run short-term mission strip. Here, I think, though, is, is what I think the number one thing that Jesus wanted them to learn. And this is why I believe that this passage is just as applicable for us today as, as it was for them. Um, in, in, in Luke 9, in the short-term trip, right, Jesus tells them, take nothing for the journey, no bag, no staff, no bread, no money, do not have two tunics. But then notice what Jesus asks them about that experience later on. What he asks them is this, when later on Jesus asks, when I send you out with nothing, did you lack anything? And they didn't. They said, we didn't lack anything. Some of the commentaries, you know, they were like, oh, well, they were learning to depend on hospitality. And I was like, <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> as much as I appreciate the, the men and women who, who write a lot of these commentaries, some of them don't get out much. Um, they were not. They were not learning to rely on hospitality. They were learning to rely on the Holy Spirit. Because when you're in missions or full-time ministry or whatever it is, and you've got your back up against the wall and you're not sure what to do, they don't go door-to-door -door looking for handouts. They pray. And then God shows up and works a miracle. I think it was, I think it was Hudson Taylor had an orphanage. Um, and multiple times they would have something like this where there is no food. He's got all of these kids. He would bring them in, sit them at the table. Lord, thank you for this meal that we are about to receive. There's no food in the building, right? Lord, thank you for this meal. And then they wait. And then there's a knock on the door, and the guy's like, hey, I was going to market, you know, with all the, you know, dairy products, and the wheel broke, and it's going to spoil, and so would you like it? And then there's another knock on the door, and, you know, it's the baker, and he's like, the Lord woke me up. I've been baking for you since 4 a.m. Would you like this bread? Right? Over and over, stories like that. Um, I think it was, do what you want with this story, just pass it on. I think it was Samir. They, they were in the... They were somewhere out in the desert in the Middle East, driving around, doing stuff, um, ran out of gas, no real option, kind of a bad situation, late at night. So he, they're 
praying and he's asking the Lord what to do and he gets this thought, idea, inspiration, whatever, they take all the water jugs and dump it in the fuel tank, do a little impromptu worship service, start up the engine and drive away. Um, you may recall I had an incident um, several years ago. I needed to get into the U.S., but my passport was tied up in a consulate, right? The U.S. doesn't let you in without a passport, but I needed to get in. was pretty nervous about it, prayed hard, got into the U.S., and then back into Canada with no passport. Um, there was one gentleman, he, was, uh, he recounts a story where... Um, they, he needed some tickets because they needed to get to Israel, and, and so he's counting his money, and he counts it once, okay, and then he counts it again, but there's more money this time. And his joke, not mine, his joke, he's like, I'm a Jew, I don't count money wrong. And so he, he counts it again, and every time he counts it, there's more money until finally it stops, and the number holds, right? And so it's like, this is how much money we have, and so then they go and... Technically, it's still not enough, but then the guy's like, oh, if I do this, and he changes the price, and to the dollar, it matches, like, what they needed to get these boat tickets to go, to go into Israel, right? Um, short-term missions, and this one I invalidate, because I saw this one firsthand. Um, you know, so kids are always like, oh, I need to fundraise, and they're sending out newsletters and that kind of thing, and Jesus, we need your help, and that kind of thing. So this one kid from Kansas gets a call, and they're like, hey, we're starting up an ethanol plant. They have no ethanol plant. There's nothing on the ground. Um, but, but we need to hire some people. Um, but what, can I put you on the payroll? But you can keep doing whatever it is that you're doing. And he came to us. And he's like, I got this phone call. And I was like, sounds like prison time to me. But um, what had happened was is that somewhere in Kansas, they were wanting to build, uh, I think it was an ethanol plant. But there was a government grant that you could get that was, like, really good. But one of the stipulations is that you had to already have people on the payroll. There's no building. There's nothing on the ground. There's nothing. But the grant is so good, it is financially advantageous to hire a bunch of people to do nothing, to get things rolling, and probably a whole discourse on federal government here, but to hire these people to do nothing so that they can get this grant. So this lady calls them up puts them down on the payroll 35 hours a week and just write, you know, international worker, whatever, and I don't know what if he got minimum wage or whatnot, and paid him for like the next six months until they had an actual building where they could hire actual employees, and then they let him go because he was in Thailand, and then they hired like real workers, right? And so it, it was fascinating because he, act, he was having a conversation with this gal and at one point, she goes, basically, I'm in a position to bless a lot of people. And, and I think she was a Christian gal and knew that he was doing the short-term mission trip, and so put him, on, put him on the payroll. And those, like, those are fun stories, but those are also just the big stories. Right? I mean, how many hundreds, how many thousands of day-to-day stories are there where you have said literally, like, Lord, I need your help getting through this conversation. Lord, I need your help getting through this day. Lord, I need your help teaching this Sunday school class or preaching this sermon or whatever. Like, I need your, 
how are we going to survive this, this job loss? How are we going to survive this hard economic turn or this bad year of crops, right? I mean, yesterday we, we had a memorial service. Many, if not most of you, have lost someone. And in the days and months that followed, how many times did you say, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to get through this day, this hour, the lesson for the disciples in that moment was not hospitality. It was trusting the Holy Spirit. Trusting the Lord to take care. Trusting the Lord to provide. Because Jesus' question was, did you lack? And they said, no, we did not. It seems to me that um, in different places of the world, they're kind of predisposed to have just sort of different strengths or weaknesses when they're when they come to their faith, and just and because I, I don't want us to like over idolize a certain part of the world as being better Christians. I I think all of us have strengths and all of us kind of have some issues. I think one of the disadvantages or um, perhaps dangers uh, just for us to be aware of as North Americans is that so in so much of our day to day life we don't need like desperate need, and so we don't cry out right short on funds get a loan not feeling well go to the doctor not you know like we have all these kind of like earthly institutions where it's like oh if i if i need something i go to that earthly that institution and so there are these times where, where we're not crying out and going to god first it is interesting to me how like someone will go through a hard patch or a season of suffering. And if you talk with them later on as they reflect back on that season, how they will tell you, if, you know, if, if you can get them to be honest, some, oftentimes they will tell you how close they were to Jesus during that difficult time. Because the hard time forced them into that closeness. The desperation forced them in, in, into that closeness. And it doesn't, um, not to elevate difficult times, it just means that sometimes we have to be more intentional about pursuing that closeness with the Lord. But I, I think the question, though, is that do you believe that you can trust the Holy Spirit? Like really, really deeply trust the Holy Spirit. We had this, this class on um, spiritual authority and warfare, and at the last one, we prayed for one another. And I've heard kind of a couple neat stories come out of that, and I don't know if there are more stories that are still under the surface or waiting to come out, but just simply to say that, that when you all prayed for one another, stuff happened. <laughs> and, it was, and it's neat to hear that. I think the critical skill that the disciples were learning, that, that they needed before they entered into long-term ministry and long-term missions was, can I trust the Holy Spirit? And, and I think part of this, too, is why Jesus calls us to have childlike faith. Now, in all other things, Jesus tells us to grow up and mature, but in faith, he tells us to be childlike. And I think it's because one of the things about children is that they believe that mom and dad just have, like, this incredible magic to make anything happen just like right now you know like hey i want to go to disney world can we go right now it's like oh i'm glad you think so highly of me no um 
But just, just that remarkable belief that mom and dad can make anything happen in an instant. Like, like do we really deeply trust the Holy Spirit? He called the twelve together. He gave them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. He said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics, and whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart, and wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. They departed, went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And then Luke 22, he said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag, no knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that this is probably an area that that we need to grow and mature in. And so, Lord, we say that, that we want to be better at this and to help us and remind us and to teach us that we can trust you, that, that we can lean on you. Lord, thank you that when things are hard, that, that you provide and that we don't lack. God, thank you that, that that is your character to look out for us in that way. Jesus, may we all grow in our faith and in our trust of you. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.